I love you. Well, praise God, saints. Anybody here know what a saint of God is? Simply means sanctified, set apart for exclusive use. And Spence said several times tonight, God is here. Why is God here? Well, you may say to save, to heal, and to bless. The Bible tells us the priority reason why God is here. All of those are only tributaries from the mainstream. Fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. For thy glory were all things created. The first primary reason that God is here tonight is for you to bless him and to praise him because everything that was here was created to bring glory to him. And if you want the creator to touch creature, then you do the first thing the creature was created for. And the first thing the creature was created for was to bring glory and honor and praise. Now that's the first thing. And that's the first reason he's here is to receive our praise and our honor and our glory. Uh, thank you for the invitation, Pastor. And he's already talked about how much we love one another. We're, why don't you sit down? That's what we Pentecostals are the best at. But, well, that's true. Matt, sometimes we sing standing on the promises and we're sitting on the premises. I guarantee you that some of y'all never even sang standing on the promises. I was in a place the other night, Brother Ewing, big church, praise leader, full time. And I turned and told him to sing all hail the power of Jesus' name, and he didn't know it. I've not seen such ignorance in all of Israel. <laughs> but I've enjoyed your worship tonight. I love you very much. And the Ewings, of course, when you talk about the Ewings and uh, the Clarks, you're talking about family. And uh, we're just more like family than we are anything else. And, of course, Eastwood's part of my family, too. And I love you, and I'm glad to be with you again. And uh, Sister Tenny and I are getting ready to go into a new era of our life, a new season. And the rest of my life is going to be the best of my life. Now, if you think I'm a looking for a rocking chair in the front porch and sipping lemonade, by the grace of God, look out, devil, here I come. I'm going to give you one more round. <laughs> Brother Jared, would you come? One of the finest couples in all the world. And Sister Lorda, you know that was my favorite. Forever mountain. You say, preacher, I got a rough mountain to climb. You better thank God it's rough. You couldn't climb a smooth one. If God gave you a mountain that was a pure transparent glass and a mile high, you couldn't, claim, you couldn't climb it. I don't care how beautiful it was. The only mountains you can climb is a rough one because you got something to hold on to. Keep climbing. Uh, my, I wrote a little booklet, Keep the Fire, celebrating a century of Pentecostal fire, Latter-day outpouring. It's only a dollar. Um, I preached a sermon in the First Baptist Church in Shelbyville, Tennessee, a couple of years ago. 
Uh, I preached a revival there. I've been preaching in a lot of Baptist conventions. What meaneth this? It's an exegesis on the second chapter of the book of Acts. If you've got any friends interested in the full gospel experience, well, uh, this is biblical, and it, it uh, is not offensive, but it is full of truth. When I got through preaching, the Holy Ghost fell, and those wonderful Baptist people fell like cordwood all over that place, getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Y'all still believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost around here? I mean the tongue-talking kind. Oh, yeah, we believe in it. Hallelujah. Sit down or I'll go to preaching right now. All of you young cadets and anybody else interested in the ministry, some things I wish I'd known. It's a menagerie of letters that I've written to young preachers over the last 40 years questions they asked, you know, before, before email. Of course, we had she-mail before we had email, but before email, um, and uh, all of this fancy stuff, we used snail mail, and I'd write back and forth. So this contains information on uh, questions that they ask. Advice to pastors and other saints. My newest book, The Lord Said, or Was That Me?, uh, I found, or they found in the tape ministry, some tape sermons that I preached 25, 30 years ago. I mean, some old ones. Beware of the traveler. Uh, reduced to zero. Worthy is the lamb. Don't sleep through the revolution. Source of Satan's power. You need to listen to that one. You get that listen to it. Sister Tenney's two wonderful booklets. Uh, my daughter Terry wrote a book, Enlarging Your House of Prayer, a, prayer, a Blueprint for Extension, and Sister Tenney's Prayer Manual, God Bless You. Uh, here's our new uh, website. website. Yes, sir. And they email me on it's, this? Yes, sir. It's, it has your email address on there. It's linked to it, so they can email you through that also. Okay. I can bear your, Some of you folks are computer literate. I am computer illiterate, but... Uh, this he'll explain to you what all that card will do. Bless all of you, love you, appreciate you, and uh, I want to preach to you a little bit. But I'm feeling so good, I may shout a little bit. <laughs> Brother Ewan said, "Take your time. Anytime I come to Eastwood, the scripture that comes to me is, "Time shall be no more." <laughs> I don't ever have to worry about time when I come to Eastwood." In fact, I'm like old brother J.W. Evans. The way I feel now, you folks won't need your headlights when you start home in the morning. <laughs> no, visitors, don't worry. My sermons are not long. They just seem that way. <laughs> Would you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord? In the book of Exodus, The book of Exodus, Old Testament, chapter 25, the 25th chapter of Exodus, beginning with verse 16. And thou shalt put into the ark of the testimony what Josh shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat a pure gold, two cubits and a half shalt it be in length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and thou shalt make two cherubims 
two cherubims. Cherubims were an angelic group. They were angelic beings. Seraphims, cherubs, archangels. Cherubims of gold, of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. The two golden cherubs would be at each end of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shalt ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat. They did not gaze eye to eye, but they looked downward. Their gaze, their eyes met in mercy. They may not always see eye to eye, but they always looked at God's mercy. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubs be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat upon above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. That's the law. And there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. Verse 21 Thou shalt put the mercy seat above, and in the ark you'll put the testimony or the law. This mercy seat was a lid for the ark of the covenant. That was the focal point of Israel's worship and hope. And on top of this ark, this lid, the mercy seat, had two cherubs attached. And just beneath the lid, the mercy seat, was the law of God. But above that law was the mercy of God. And I want to speak to you tonight on this subject. Mercy above the law. The only reason any of us are here tonight, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the only reason we're redeemed is because mercy is above the law. Let's pray God's blessings on his word. Father, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. These precious people. I plead the blood of the Lamb. This delivers. Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. In that ark was a manna, pot of manna. Aaron's rod that budded, and the law, the so-called Ten Commandments. The law, meticulous, demanding, sometimes almost cruel because the scripture said, they that despised Moses' law 
died without mercy. And what was the hope of Israel? God put the commandments in that box, but immediately prior to the commandment, he talked about this mercy seat. And it's not a literary accident because they're connected. God said on that mercy seat, that lid above the ark, I'll meet with thee and I will commune with you. God speaks, talks, thinks, and acts out of mercy. And the only hope of Israel of meeting God, because you know they constantly broke the law. In fact, even Moses did. Moses is the only man that broke all Ten Commandments at the same time. He did it. He dropped all the, just threw them down. The first tablets of stone and broke every one of them. He better be glad that mercy was above the law. God only works in mercy. I wish that I had the vocabulary to articulate how I feel about the mercy of God. Certainly I respect the law of God. Most assuredly. John said, I write unto you, little children, that you sin not. But then he knew human nature. And he said, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, Jack, in ancient English, an advocate was a lawyer. When the King James Version was translated, it was a lawyer. And what he said is, if you make a mistake, I can recommend a good defense attorney. And he's never lost a case. And his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know what kind of baggage you brought in here tonight. I don't know what kind of condemnation is in your heart tonight. But I'm here to tell you there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit and not the flesh. You can be saved and delivered because mercy is above the law. That doesn't degrade the law. But it exalts God's grace, precious commodity. This ark wasn't an idol. God described everything about this tabernacle with one exception. From the holiest of holies outward. And this means that the tabernacle was not to be viewed from the perspective of the worshiper coming in, but from the perspective of God as he would see it from his declared special presence in the holiest of holies. And the order was from the holiest of holies flowing outward to man, not man flowing inward to God. So that's why with only one exception, he describes the tabernacle from the mercy seat outward because God's thought outwardly are toward men. In fact, 
God doesn't want to be cabined and cribbed and confined in boxes and curtains. I don't care how well the Jews thought they had God sewed up. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple, though it was sewn, and some say as much as 18 inches thick, it had so many layers, God said, let me out of here, and he split that veil in twain from top to bottom, and mercy flowed out. The mercy of God is available to us tonight God communes out of mercy he speaks out of mercy he lives in mercy the Bible said Paul said and God who is rich in mercy and Philip's translation says God whose only riches is his mercy God doesn't consider the cattle on a thousand hills his riches. He doesn't consider all the gold in the hill his riches. God's only riches, the only thing God says are my riches is my mercy. And freely he gives us his grace and his mercy. I'm here to talk about the great mercy of God. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Whatever your need is, mercy is the unmerited favor of God to man. David was a man after God's own heart because he had a spirit of mercy. You read in the scripture where the Bible said that David made provision for those that didn't have. He was always thinking of others on two occasions. He could have put Saul to death. Saul was right at his fingertips. And he wouldn't do it. On one of those occasions, the men said, you don't have to do it. Just let us do it. But he wouldn't. And my friend, you reap what you sow. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And he was merciful to Saul. And later in life, when he found himself in a compromising situation of adultery, and the law said, you should be put to death. Mercy was above the law. And God said, I remember your mercy to Saul. And since you gave mercy, I'm going to give you mercy. But Lord, the law said, yes, but you're overlooking one thing. Above that law was a mercy seat. And that's where I dwell. And that's where I live. And there's not a one of us that would be saved here tonight were it not for the mercy of God. Grace never runs uphill. It always runs downhill to the lowly environment and needs of man. On another occasion, David numbered the people and it was the grace of God that met him when the law said he should die. He had a spirit of mercy. On another occasion, he went into the tabernacle and he was hungry. And the law said, only the priest can eat the showbread. But he was hungry and his men were hungry. And he asked the priest, is there anything to eat? And he said, all I've got is the holy showbread. And only the priest can eat that. David said, but we're hungry. Give it to us. Now the law said, if you touch that, you're to die. But God honors hunger. And he gave him the holy showbread, and he ate it, 
and he didn't die. I'm not endorsing sin. I'm just telling you that you can't even have a message without a mess. You can't have a testimony without a test. You cannot, you cannot have a triumph without a trial. They just all go together. They're intertwined. And the great mercy of God, freely you've received, freely give. Mercy. Mercy. One translation of the words of our Lord, it is finished, is this. Paid in full. Not partially paid. Not put away away. But the sin question was settled in Calvary and God marked it. Paid in full. Sin said, please remit. God said, paid in full. He is our righteousness. Mercy. No one of the Psalms are so filled with the praise of God for mercy. Did, did you ever read the 136th Psalm? Just flip over sometimes to that 136th Psalm and see what God has to say about mercy. Every verse of that Psalm will make a statement about God and then it'll say, but his mercy. And it'll make a statement about God's law, but it'll say, but his mercy endureth forever. And it'll make another statement, and then it'll say, but his mercy endureth forever. And it'll make another statement all the way through all 20-some-odd verses. It ends with the phrase, but his mercy endureth forever. I'm here to tell you that the mercy of God endureth forever. Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Thank God for his mercy. For the mercy seat. The Bible, and I read it, said that the mercy seat was of pure gold. Now the box was a box of shittim wood overlaid with gold, but mercy is pure. There's nothing in it that'll rot. There's nothing in it that'll decay. It was of pure gold. And he gave the dimensions of it, Brother Ewan. He said this lid that perfectly fit the ark was two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. But I looked again this afternoon. There's no measurement for its thickness or depth. Because you cannot measure the depth of mercy. It endures forever. And how long is forever. You can say that, well, it's, it's as long as my need. And it's as wide as my transgression. How thick is it? It just endures forever and forever and forever. No dimensions to the thickness.
and the depth of the mercy of God. Sin cannot get you into such a mess that God cannot clean up the mess and save the messer. Sin cannot stain you so deeply that the blood can't penetrate and eradicate. The mercy of God is stronger than the strongest hold of the enemy. But the enemy will convince you there's no need. There's, there's just no mercy. But there is. There is. The Hebrew word for mercy or mercy seat is transliterated into the Greek propitiation. It's a covering, not like a jar lid, but a covering in a sense of atonement. Now, if the mercy seat was a seat of propitiation, then Romans chapter 3 and verse 25 comes into play. Because here's what he said in 3 and 25 of Romans. Whom God hath sent forth, talking of Jesus, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So in the Greek, it literally means that Jesus is the mercy seat. And he is pure to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Jesus is the mercy seat today. And he completely covers. Let me tell you how God feels about this. You remember when they put the ark on the new cart and it came back? And the men of Beth Shemesh ran out, and they looked at the ark. They looked all around to see if anybody was looking. Now, if you go to the 16th chapter of Leviticus, he'd tell you that he told them to sprinkle blood on that mercy seat. Anything that brought a problem to the mercy seat was covered by the blood. But the sons of Beth Shemesh came out, and they took the lid off they want to look inside that thing and God smote them and killed 50,000 of them you know why because they uncovered what God had covered and God said don't tamper with the blood if anything's under the blood don't touch it or you invite the judgments of God 50,000 in that one day, my friend, if anything's under the blood and you know it's under the blood, well, you leave it under the blood and don't fool with it because it's under the blood and mercy is above. But he did this and she did that. They may have, but mercy is above the law. And I told you this morning, their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. The great mercy of God how kind is our God how merciful Jesus at Calvary was saying 
world, you may beat me. World, you may pull my beard. World, you may put a crown of thorns. World, you may pierce my side. World, you may crucify me. World, you may put me to death. But world, you can't keep me from loving you. Regardless of what you've done to me, I still love you. And that's our example. Mercy. The great mercy of God. You remember the woman that was taken in the very act of adultery? They caught her. And they brought her to Jesus and his apostles and said, We caught this woman in the very act. Male chauvinist. If they caught her in the act, where was the man? Why didn't they bring him? Because the law said they both were supposed to die. And they thought they were just bringing her to a prophet. But they were bringing her to the mercy seat. <laughs> they were bringing her to the mercy seat. And they said, the law of Moses said she ought to die. What do you say? And I can see their smug look as they looked around at one another. Just didn't say anything. Mercy is silent. It doesn't make a big show. It doesn't go around and say, I'm forgiven. I'm for, you know, it just, he just wrote in the sand. Now, he could have written in a tablet. He could have written on papyrus. And those thugs that brought this woman to Jesus were probably more guilty than she was. And there's been all kinds of speculation about what he wrote. He could have written in the sand some of their sins. He could have written, Josiah, who is the woman that lives at 10 straight street? My God, who told him that? And from the eldest to the young, they started leaving one. Why did he write it in the sand? This merciful God knew that the next wind that came along would blow even their sins and their records away. <laughs> and he didn't want a written record kept because there was so much mercy there. Until he just said, the next wind will take care of it. I'm not going to put it anywhere else. That's the kind of God we serve. He speaks out of mercy. He lives. You know what his throne today is called? His throne today is called a throne of Come to the throne of mercy. Even God himself is not sitting on the judgment seat. God today is not sitting on the judgment throne. He's a lamb now. He's not the lion yet. Well, the Bible said I've overcome and I'm sat down with my father in his throne. That's the throne of mercy. The throne of judgment is vacant. So if T.F. Tenet climbs on the judgment seat, I'm sitting alone. But if I get on the mercy seat, I'm sitting in Jesus' lap. Now, had you rather sit alone or sit in the lap of Jesus? Because he's on the throne of mercy. And I want to give mercy because I need mercy. And I want to give forgiveness because I need forgiveness. Hallelujah. I'm just here to tell you that mercy is above the law. It's above it.
situation. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us, Jesus, to know what we're doing. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. That was his last prayer. They know not what they do. And sometimes we say, Father, don't forgive them because we know what they're doing. You remember when Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside crying, Thou son of David! And the crowd kept moving. The apostles kept moving. The disciples tried to quiet him down. Jesus! Thou son of David went back to his royal lineage, called him by a salvic name, went back all the way to his royal lineage to the fact that you got a right to the throne of David. He kept a trucking. But then he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have, 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 have mercy. And he kept walking for his lineage and he kept walking for his name. But when he heard that word, mercy, he stopped and said, bring him to me. Oh, hallelujah, bring him to me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Let me tell you what I want us to do. Every one of you raise your hand with me. Every one of us say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. on me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Fifteen times in the New Testament the cry was made, have mercy. You remember Yusa? That was, had the ark on his cart, taking it back to Jerusalem. That ark had been in his home for 20 years. He was the son of the man that had been custodian of the ark when it was sidetracked for 20 years. It had been just a piece of furniture in his house. He'd become so accustomed to it. And when the ox stumbled and the ark began to shake, he reached and grabbed it. You know what happened? God killed him. Why? Because he touched it on the side, which was where the law and the testimony was. I really believe if he'd have touched it on the mercy seat, that he lived. But he touched it at the place of judgment. I want to touch him in mercy every time I can. Because I want to live. A lack of mercy will kill you. It'll kill you. Well, Brother Tenney, I'd like to forgive them, but they've never asked me. There wasn't one person at the cross telling Jesus, go ahead and die for us, Lord. We'll live for you. He died without a promise of one soul living for him. They all forsook him and fled. But in spite of that... He prayed, 
and he had mercy. There's only one prayer for mercy in the New Testament that's unheard. The rich man in hell. Unheard. Was it a desperate prayer? Yes. Was it a sincere prayer? You better believe it. But it was a too late prayer. The only place you get mercy is in time. When you get to eternity, either your debt to mercy is discharged or you face judgment. Go to the book of Revelation. You know what you'll find in heaven? The Bible said... That in heaven, a lot of folks looking for the Ark of the Covenant today, is the Ark of the Covenant or the testimony. But there's no mention of the mercy seat being there. Because that's when God changes from the lamb to the lion and gets off the mercy seat and gets on the judgment seat. If you're going to traffic in mercy, you better traffic now because you're going to stand someday before the judgment seat. Of Christ, Paul said. And there is no mercy there. You've settled the mercy question here on earth. Thank God 56 years ago I settled the mercy question. And from that day to this I've been giving out as much mercy as I possibly could. Because I need mercy. I need grace. I need love. Oh God. Mercy is for now. It stands between me and... But you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you. I've come here to tell you to take the limits off the atonement. There's nothing too hard for my Lord. There's no sin that he can't reach. I've had people tell me, Brother Tenney, I've tried and I've failed and i tried and i failed and I just give up. That's as good as the devil wants you to say. Bible said, you know what the Bible said? The Bible said a righteous man can be knocked down seven times. But you know what else the Bible said? He gets up. And that's what's important. Well, the church won't have me. Well, I'd hate to think that. I don't care how many times a man gets drunk and runs into another car or gets in a fight and they take him to St. Pat's or Lake Charles Memorial when he, they wheel him in that door, bloodied, those nurses and doctors don't look down and say, well, that's old Joe. He's been in here a dozen times. We're not going to treat him anymore. No, they treat him just like it was the first time, and they're only interested in his flesh. I'd hate to think that St. Pat's and Lake Charles Memorial Hospital is more merciful than the church. You may have been wounded a dozen times. Roll him in, brother. Hallelujah. We're here. We'll patch him up again. You got mercy. We got grace. We got love. Hallelujah. Trust the grace of God. Trust the mercy of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mercy. You know, it appears the most unmerciful act that God ever ignited was against Christ. When he died at Calvary, 
How could he do that to him? How? I heard a woman years ago say that she knew that everybody had forgiven her, God forgave her, but she couldn't forgive herself. Can't forgive myself. You know what my answer to that is? That's an insult to Calvary. What you're saying is, my sin is so big and important that you need to go back and die one more time just for me. Get off of that kick. Forgive yourself. If God Almighty that knows more about you than you do yourself has forgiven you. Hallelujah. Devil, take it. You're not going to haunt me any longer. It's under the blood and I'm not going to tamper with the blood. Now, I don't want nobody else tampering with it and I'm not. It's covered. Jesus is our propitiation. It's covered. Now, he did say to the woman, Go thy way and, he didn't say go thy way and sin less. He said you go thy way, you go, well really he didn't say go thy way. He just said go sin no more because if she'd have went her way, she might have got back into it. We preachers often say, he said go thy way and sin no more. Brother Johnson, it's not there. It's go sin no more. He, he didn't tell her to sin less. He just said go out of the sinning business. And those that don't learn from the past are condemned to relive, relive it. Paul said evil companions corrupt good morals. If you know there's some places you shouldn't go, stay away from it. Quit inviting temptation. Quit well, the devil's knocking on the door. That doesn't mean you've got to open it. Send Jesus to the door. If you know something's a temptation situation, you know what Paul said? He said, flee youthful lust. He didn't even say pray about it. He didn't say fast about it. He said, you run like a scalded ape. Flee. Just get away from it. Separate yourself from it. Well, I don't need to pray about it. No, you don't need to pray about this. But you know, Brother Tenney, he's so handsome, and he's got a good job, and I think I could win him. Run! If he don't love your Jesus, he don't need to be loving you. Mercy! Pastor is above the law. And that doesn't negate the law. You don't want to die between mercy and the law. You better not abuse it. Evidently, the rich man Dives abused mercy. And he let his time run out for mercy. And he ended up in hell. Mercy is above the law. Somebody here is trafficking in unfelt truth. Somebody here is trafficking in the bondage of habits. And you think nobody knows. Nobody sees. I can put on a good front. And there's some... Things I'm here to tell you that the Word of God said we renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Do not transgress the mercy and the grace of God. Jude said there are those that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Book of Jude, read it. And the word lasciviousness means an excuse to sin. They abuse the grace of God by saying, I can do anything I want to say. 
I read the other day where a preacher said, sin as deeply and as often as you want to because you only give grace an opportunity and mercy an opportunity to show itself. If that's the gospel, I'm a humble Texan and they don't exist. My wife's one, but she got forgiveness. No, you, you don't turn the grace of God into an excuse to sin. Even to him that knows to do good and does it not. So don't, don't misunderstand the thing I've said. I, but if you've got your life in a mess and the devil's led you astray and you've got a heart after God and you want to serve the Lord, I've come to tell you that mercy is above the law. And somebody can be so legalistic and narrow-minded and tell you there's no hope and you may as well forget it and God doesn't love you and pastor doesn't love you and church doesn't love you and, and you'll probably never be saved and leave them feeling worse than the devil had them feeling. The only thing that can make you worse than the devil is a church that will reject you. And we're not in the rejecting business. I don't know what you're going to tell about this sermon, but I am exalting the wonderful grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. You will never work your way into heaven. We are saved by the grace of God. We are kept by the grace of God. If you see this old boy in heaven, I'm there by the grace of God. I should have been anything but a Pentecostal preacher. Some of y'all were born and raised in this. I wasn't. You wouldn't want to know what I was before Jesus found me. My wife doesn't even know how bad I was because it's under the blood. And don't ever lift the lid. One of the strange things about it is there wasn't any hinges on that lid. It had to be lifted off. Because there's nothing mechanical about grace. It can only be handled. And the nails were driven in his hands. They weren't nails of destruction. They were nails of grace. He handled. And the cherubs, the cherubims, they were of beaten gold. A lot of that was a poured goal, but not the guardians of the mercy of God. You first find them in the Garden of Eden, guarding the gates. They were guardian angels, and they guarded the mercy of God. And no one but a high priest could go into that mercy seat, and that only once a year. And they tied a rope around him in case he died because nobody could go in and get him. They'd drag him out. And one of the most interesting things, Brother Ewan, and I've restudied this. Brother Johnson, how did that priest get behind that curtain? There were no drawstrings. There was no split. The curtain to the holiest of holies was a solid curtain all the way to the floor. Somebody said, well, he crawled under or he went around. The scripture tells us that that veil was the flesh of Jesus, type of the flesh. And God just walked through that flesh of Jesus. It could be that on that one day, God miraculously let that high priest, while he stood up, walk into the presence 
of God's mercy indicative of Jesus, God walking through the flesh of Christ until the day it was torn and it was the same time the flesh of God was torn at Calvary and as his blood came out blood and water it was mercy pouring out the mercy of God is expressed in blood and water and it was that way in the Old Testament they came to the laver of water and they went to the blood God's message has always been a message of water and blood. I am so glad that I have been washed in the blood and baptized in his name. I have blend to the blood and the water and I can go into the mercy seat. And I'm here to tell you whosoever will, let him come. Last thought. I want you to look at the street. Green, I want to show you John chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. John 20, 11 and 12. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had laid. The mercy seat had been laying there for three days. And the guardian angels, the cherubs, had been over it. But suddenly they could sit down because mercy was no longer confined to one cabinet or one place. It was loosed into the whole world. And they said, our work is over. We can sit down now. We don't, it's unguarded mercy now. Do you hear me? What you are experiencing tonight is unguarded mercy. Even the cherubs that guarded it at the tomb sat down, hallelujah, because it's over. It's over. It's over. My friend, I am inviting you tonight to the beautiful mercy of God, to the throne of God, to the mercy seat that knows no depth or thickness, that endures forever and forever and forever, but can only be exercised in time. Eternity is not the place for mercy. Time is the place for mercy. And I am telling you that this merciful God that we serve, mercy is unguarded. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for one box or one tabernacle or one temple. It's for whosoever will. The beautiful, beautiful mercy of God. I invite you to it tonight. Some of you have had things hanging over you for years that have dogged your tracks, harrowed your nights.
And you've said, I can't forgive myself. And God himself doesn't even know what you're talking about. Because I told you this morning, there's sins and iniquities. I'll remember no more. And if you're walking in the light, it's his in the light. Now, only if you walk in the light, it's his in the light. To have fellowship one with the other. Then, now notice this, then doth the blood of his son Jesus do what? Cleanse us. Now, church, if they walk in the light as he is in the light, and we don't have fellowship... Don't withhold fellowship from anybody that's walking in the light. You could impede their access to the blood by thinking we're not accepted. Now, I want to go over that again. You got to get that. John said, if we walk in the light, it's his in the light. A lot of people want to walk in the light today. But we don't want to have fellowship with them. So they walk in the light and say, thank God I can be free, I can be saved. But they come to the fellowship and we say, oh no. Well, we can't, look what you, what you did. Well, I don't want y'all to know what I did. You might not want to listen to me preach. Probably wouldn't want to listen to Joe sing. You know, all of us have got a story. But mercy... If we walk in the light as he is in the light and don't withhold fellowship from one another, then the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanseth us from all. The all factor can be in our hands when we release people. When we release people by forgiving And love him. You are never more like Jesus than when you forgive. Forgive, and it shall be forgiven you. I cannot afford to harbor unforgiveness. Do you think in 55 years of ministry that everything's gone rosy for me? I was preaching in a meeting several weeks ago. and Evidently, the Lord used me. I was preaching in a Baptist conference. Holy Spirit fell and people were in the altar. And after it was over with the staff, every one of them in there had a doctor's degree but me. Well, I said I did have a DD degree. That means devil disturber. But they were crying and Brother Tenny this and that. And I don't ever even do this. I said, you know, how I'd encourage, I said, you know, the last three weeks have been three of the worst weeks in my life. You? You have problems? You mean you have troubles? Yeah. Yeah. You ever have to forgive? You better believe it. And you know why I forgive? There's only one reason why I forgive. Some of them I'd like to shoot. I'll tell you why I forgive. I'm going to be honest with you. Forgive and it shall be. I need everything I can get on the credit side of the ledger. I don't want to die in debt to nobody for forgiveness. So just forgive.
I don't have a clue as to why I preach this sermon tonight. I'd rather preach to one God in Jesus' name and the Holy Ghost so you'd run the aisles. But I've come to tell you that mercy is above the law. Some of you that are so legalistic and so proud of your observance of every law and every jot and every tittle. You may be so bogged down in unforgiveness until it would take a John Deere tractor to pull you out plus the blood of Jesus. We need to get rid of a lot of junk. And you that don't think God can forgive you and you backsliders, there's backsliders here tonight. There's people backslid, and this pastor don't know you're backslidden unless God's revealed it to him. And, and you've been doing things and living in things you didn't think anybody knows. And the Holy Spirit sent me here tonight to tell you, this is your night of mercy. You better get it under the blood tonight. Because when you leave here, it's not going to be a throne of mercy. It's going to be a throne of judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, even for the saints. Saints of God are going to the judgment seat of Christ. And sinners are going to the great white throne judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, I don't find anybody. Well, I, 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 that's a less than theology. But he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say unto the church. Mercy is above the law. Get off your judgment seat and get on the mercy seat. That's what the Holy Ghost is saying. Forgive. Get it under the blood. Go sin no more. God will give you grace and lift you above it and strengthen you. Let's pray right where you are. Let's pray. Pray. We need to repent. Brother Tenney, I don't need to repent. Well, you need to repent for feeling like you don't need to repent. Say something, Eric. Say.